Their argument now number 96243, Bernadette Sutum versus Tahoe Regional Planning Agency. Uh, Mr. Radford. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. This case is about an ordinary property owner who's been denied all beneficial use of her land and then, in addition, has been denied access to the courts to seek relief for that categorical taking of her property. Uh, at the outset, I, and maybe you can answer this question very easily, I, I don't know why you didn't bring an inverse suit here, number one, as a matter of choice. I don't know why you're not required to do so um, uh, under Williamson as a matter of law. Unless it's peculiar to TARPA, there's no uh, inverse uh, action available to you against the bi-state agency? Well, the Tahoe Regional Planning uh, Agency, of course, is a bi-state uh, uh, body operating under uh, an act of Congress, and the type of proceeding that was initiated here in district court uh, would appear to be specifically authorized under the, uh, the uh, TRPA compact. Can you bring an inverse suit against the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency? Well, I, I'm afraid that I can't answer that question, Justice Kennedy. But don't you have to answer it under Williamson? Williamson says that that's what you must do. Uh, maybe is it because the agency has no treasury to pay the judgment? Or? Does your, is the thrust of your question going to the second prong of uh, Williamson County regarding the need to pursue uh, state remedies? Yes. Uh, and these aren't state remedies because it's a bi-state agency. But it, it still seems to me that to put the case into focus, you should go to inverse condemnation first and then 1983 if, if, if there's no inverse available. Well, the position of the uh, Tahoe Regional Planning Agency is that uh, they do not have the power of eminent domain, they do not have uh, provisions for paying just compensation, and this entered into the decision that was made at the uh, initial level of this uh, litigation to proceed by way of federal Thank decision. you. And, and so, so we might say that generally we do not um, know that there are routinely inverse suits filed by, against the agency and defended against the agency as they would be uh, against, say, the state of California or the state of Nevada? I'm, I'm not aware of such a practice, certainly not routinely, Justice Kennedy. Thank you. Does the charter of the agency give them uh, eminent domain power? No, it does not, Justice Scalia. I'd like to make two points here this morning, if I could. First, the opportunity to sell development credits for the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency is not a remaining use of Mrs. Sudam's land that could constitute a ripeness bar to her regulatory takings claim. Second, the monetary value of those credits, which was the sole issue and dispute in the proceedings below, has no relevance to the ripeness of her claim and in any case is eminently fit for adjudication using ordinary appraisal methods. But it might have relevance as to whether there's a taking conceivably. I, I don't believe that that would be true, uh, Justice O'Connor. Monetary value. Well, but it was true in Penn Central, I guess. Justice O'Connor, I think that the Solicitor General made a, a, an extremely important distinction in the brief that was filed uh, with this court. I believe on page 17, the distinction was between value and rights that were retained in Mrs. Sudam's property following the application of these regulations and value or rights that were obtained from the agency after the complete deprivation of her ownership rights. The value of the TDRs, and we're going to use shorthand here, we're, when we talk about TDRs, transferable development rights, we're talking about these credits that the agency has created. Their value, if any, is something that has been injected from the outside after all of Mrs. Sudam's development rights have been destroyed. Those are values that she has obtained from the agency, not values that were retained by her property. And of course, when you look at it that way, and the reason that distinction I think is valuable, is it illustrates that what TRPA is really doing here... Well, how were the TDRs obtained in Penn Central? I, I mean, we at least dealt in that case with transferable development rights. The TDRs at issue in Penn Central, uh, Justice O'Connor, of course, were not considered relevant to the ripeness issue. Uh, the court went directly directly to the merits. But apparently they were considered of relevance in deciding whether there was a taking. That, that would appear to be correct. The direct answer to your prior question is the TDRs that were at issue in Penn Central were pre-existing. They were not created by the landmarks law that was being challenged in Penn Central. They existed when the owner bought 
the property in question and later sued on it? I, I, I could not tell you exactly when uh, Penn Central purchased the property involved and when the New York City zoning ordinance went into effect, mm -hmm. but the TDRs were part of the general zoning ordinance. But in any event, when Mrs. Sudom bought her property, uh, the Tahoe Regional Planning Agency was not yet in existence and hadn't developed the TDR? The, the agency was in existence at the time Mrs. Sudom acquired this property mm -hmm. in 1972. However, the credits that are at issue here were only created under the 1987 plan that uh, came along, of course, considerably after uh, Mrs. Sudam and her husband had acquired this lot with the uh, expectation of being able to build a home. Now, there, there is some residual value to the extent the property might want to be acquired by a neighbor or someone else to have a larger yard or additional property, I assume. Just uh, there is some value, apparently, remaining for that purpose. I, I would, I would disagree with that respectfully, Justice. Vol vol volleyball and things like that? Well, I, I know... Picnic table. The, the, situ the situation that we have here is an ordinary street with ordinary homes and one vacant lot in the middle of it. It might be a suburb of Milwaukee or Sacramento. It happens to be in Klein Village. Now, you have two houses, obviously, on each side of that vacant lot. And the Ninth Circuit uh, actually says this, that, consists, uh, that, that comprises a market uh, for her property, because either of those two neighbors might want to buy that you know, as an extension of their own land. But there was an affidavit backing that up, wasn't there? The Johnson affidavit that said this property has some residual value. That's true, Justice Ginsburg. The Ninth Circuit had something to well, go on. However, if, if you look at the evidentiary basis for that affidavit, there were no comparable sales. There has never been a sale of SEZ property, that is property that uh, the agency has designated a stream environment zone to an adjacent landowner. Uh, Mr. Johnson's affidavit cited to six sales, which were an attachment to that affidavit, every one of which was a sale by the state of Nevada. There has never been an arm's length private transaction between the owner of SEZ property and an adjacent property owner, and there's no reason to believe there ever would be one. Those well, suppose we think, in fact, there is some residual value in what's left for a sale for some purpose, obviously less than it would be if a house could be built upon it. If there is such a value, does it go to the determination of whether there is a taking in the first instance, and then possibly later, if there is a taking, to the amount of money that should be paid? It would presumably go to the issue of liability for a taking, Justice O'Connor. It certainly would not go to the ripeness question. So the, the Ninth Circuit didn't reach any takings question, did they? They said that under Hamilton County, this was simply you had to pursue further remedies before they would even confront the question. That's correct, Mr. Chief Justice. I thought it was your position that it doesn't go to the taking either. Well... That, that, that the criterion is not is not residual value, but w whether there is any uh, economically beneficial use of that, land. That, that indeed is our position, Justice Scalia. In response to Justice O'Connor's hypothetical, what I was saying is if this court decides that there is residual value in the property and decides that that has some relevance to the takings question... Or decides that there may be. We don't need to make the factual determination. That, that's correct. I'm sorry if I misrepresented your, your question, Justice O'Connor, but the, the thrust of my answer was if the court winds up in the position of saying this is not a complete wipeout, this isn't a Lucas-type deprivation of all beneficial use, but in fact is a Penn Central-type analysis where we look at the economic impact and balance various factors, then that would become relevant. I think this is a Lucas case. I think if we were to get to the merits, and of course... All the Ninth Circuit actually arrived at was the ripeness issue. If we were to get to the merits, I think this is a Lucas case. Do, do we have to say whether it's a Lucas case or a Penn Central case in order for you to prevail on the ripeness claim? No, that's not necessary, Justice Kennedy. What we need to prevail in this case to reverse the decision of the Ninth Circuit is simply a ruling that Mrs. Sudam has, in fact, received a final decision within the meaning of Williamson County. And is, the, is the TRP subject to the Administrative Procedure Act? Has any court ever decided that question? Uh, I, I know of no ruling to that effect, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, and my assumption would be they are not subject to the Administrative Procedure Act, which, of course, applied in the Abbott Laboratories case that TRPA now uh, seems to rest its 
uh, its uh, ripeness claims on. Do I understand the the, the reasoning of the uh, the courts below that the 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 lack of ripeness depended not only on the fact that there had not been a final ruling from the county and with respect to one of these rights, the, the lottery issue, I guess, but that in fact with respect to all of the TDRs collectively, there was simply too little known about their actual functioning to assign a market value. And because a market value could not be supplied, that was one of the reasons for saying that the claim was not right. Is that correct? Justice Souter, that is the interpretation that TRPA places on the decisions below. I don't read that myself. In the, in, in the proceedings below, we had, of course, a request, well, actually an order from the district court for supplementary briefing on how the TDR process worked. The supplemental briefs and affidavits were submitted, and among the material that was submitted in that process were affidavits valuing these very credits that are at issue. Uh, Mrs. Sudan presented valuation evidence. The TRPA presented valuation evidence. This was a factual issue that was presented to the trial court to determine in response to its order for supplemental briefing, and yet presented with this evidence that both sides were prepared to testify and, and present experts as to the valuation of the credits. Uh, the court simultaneously held that the credits have value, but there's no, no way of knowing what that value is. I, I take it it's your position that even if the value of the credits cannot be determined, you are prepared to proceed in this suit uh, and take whatever consequences that they, that, that uh, fact might produce for you. Justice Sudam, the answer to that would be yes. Mrs. Sudam wants to build her house. She believes that she's entitled to realize her reasonable expectations uh, to proceed with the development of her subdivision lot, just as everyone else in the subdivision has. And I take it uh, you would say, or maybe you don't say, but this, I take it you would say that if, if these credits can have no market value or have no value that can be established, uh, that that, in a sense, aggravates the, 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 the taking that has occurred, in, in your view. That would be correct, Justice Kennedy. Now, there seems to be a strange dilemma that's, that's presented by the rulings below, and that is, clearly, either there is a market for the TDRs, uh, as, as the agency has contended, and many of its uh, amici contend in their briefs to this court, either there is a market for the TDRs in which they are commonly bought and sold, in which case the court could easily determine the value by appraisal, or there is not a market for them, as the agency has contended in other cases, and nobody knows what they're worth. It's a total mystery, in which case it would obviously be completely unfair to force Mrs. Sudam to go out and try to test a market that doesn't exist. Significantly, I think, if we look at footnote 18 in the respondent's brief, the bottom line to all this is, regardless of whether Mrs. Sudam goes out and goes through this process, tests the market, gets an offer, comes back to the agency and applies for a sale of these credits, it's the agency's position that the court should still make up its own determination of what the credits are worth. So there's clear, uh, more than an implication, uh, TRPA has clearly expressed its position that the courts can determine the valuation issue completely independently of anything Mrs. Sudam is required to do. Well, if, if you're right, uh, you have a very strong argument that it's final and definite, so then we'd say it's uh, ripe, go decide the merits. But when they get to the merits, what is the situation? That is, my impression is that they've been through the merits in the court, that there's one affidavit in there that says that these things are worth something. Uh, I don't know if it's 30000 th several thousand dollars, and then the, there, there's another affidavit that says, no, they're not worth anything. That was struck out of the case, and the Ninth Circuit affirmed. So if we send it back, what is there left to do? Our basic position, Justice Breyer, is that although the value of the credits can easily be determined by the trial court, that, in fact, is irrelevant to the taking issue, because what these regulations have done... So in other words, you're going to send it back to make a legal argument. That's the legal argument will be on the basis of the record this constitutes a taking. On the other side, we'll say on the basis of the record it doesn't. That's correct. Okay. But so far as this particular proceeding uh, this morning is concerned, I take it your position is, even if you lose on the question whether the TDR is irrelevant to the taking, you are ready to litigate them for whatever they are worth, and you just want to proceed. That's correct, Justice yeah. Sitter. Now, I would have to add that this is an extremely unusual case in that the substantive issue of whether there has been a Lucas-type taking 
seems almost to be contained within the procedural issue of whether the case is ripe for adjudication. This came up on ripeness. The question presented was ripeness. And uh, by the, the, the normal procedures of, of this court, a ruling would be limited to ripeness. Well, the one is included in the other only if the way that you resolve the first is by resolving that these things have no value. If you resolve it that way, then indeed the Lucas, uh, the Lucas question is answered. But if you resolve it the other way, that they have some value, then it's, it's, not, it's not the same question, is it? Well, there's another way of looking at it, Justice Scalia, and that is the Ninth Circuit held the case was not ripe because the opportunity to sell these TDRs was a use of Mrs. Sudam's property. If we're going to reverse the Ninth Circuit's decision then the conclusion could only be that the opportunity to sell the TDRs is not a use of her property. Why? Why? It is what it is. I mean, that is to say, they have said, this is the situation. You have these three things, the 180 feet, the uh, allocation, uh, the five for uh, residential rights. That's it. You got it. Okay. Now we go back and decide whether taking a person's property is an issue or is a taking under those circumstances, or it isn't. What is there any need for us to go beyond that? There, there, why should we overrule uh, a, a holding what looks like a holding in the, in the uh, Penn Central case in order to decide a rightness issue? Oh, uh, no, Justice Breyer. I want to make it perfectly clear that we're not suggesting this court should overrule Penn Central or indeed should overrule any previous precedent. Our position is the existing precedents of this court in Williamson County and the McDonald case are clearly consistent with a ruling that this case is ripe. There's been a final adjudication, not just regarding the ability to utilize her land, which was involved in Williamson County and McDonald. There's also been a final determination, as you just said, regarding what credits are available, indeed what credits she is required to go out and market. So there's been a final decision. The case is ripe. That's as far as this case needs to go, or the court needs to go. However, the court could, without in any way overruling Penn Central or any other case, take the additional step of saying, since the ability to sell these credits is not a use of her property, she has no beneficial use of her property. The regulations have deprived her of all beneficial use because everyone agrees, the parties and the courts below, everyone agrees that she has no remaining use of her property except the ability to sell the TDR. So suppose an agency said that you can't use this lot but we will give you your choice of one of four other residential lots which appraisers would testify are comparable. Would that be a taking in, in your view? I think that would be a taking, Justice Kennedy, under the basic standard that all land is unique. And uh, to say we're going to take away the land that you own in which your expectations are wrapped up and give you another piece of land would in fact be a taking with an offer of compensation. Now, the property owner might accept that offer, but they might also claim, no, that doesn't comply with the just compensation requirement. Mr. Ramsford, do, do I understand you correctly that you recognize that the only thing before us is that threshold ripeness? I think at least the United States has said you have a final order, you have a final decision, and the only question is this uh, prudential ripeness coming out of Abbott Laboratories. That was the United States position. Well, I, I, I would agree, Justice Ginsburg, that actually, in my opinion, both the Solicitor General and the agency in their briefs to this court have conceded that there's been a final decision within the meaning of Williamson County. Now, the fallback to Abbott Laboratories, I think, is completely inappropriate and th something this court should avoid. Abbott Laboratories was not a land use case. It wasn't a takings case. It wasn't even a constitutional law issue. However, if we were to look at the Abbott Laboratories standards, we'd see that the basic issue in Abbott Laboratories, determining the ripeness of a pre-enforcement challenge to federal regulations is whether there had been a final agency action that imposed a distinct injury upon the planet. There clearly has been in this case. In fact, that would seem to be virtually the same as the final decision requirement in the specific land use context of Williamson County. Uh, what the agency is trying to do with Abbott Laboratories is shoehorn its argument in through the second subsidiary issue of hardship on the parties. And yet, of course, the hardship inquiry in Abbott Laboratories was not a balancing test where we looked at the hardship on the uh, uh, plaintiffs of having adjudication delayed versus the hardship on the government, whatever that would mean, of having a prompt determination of the legality of its regulations. The hardship inquiry applied only to the petitioners, 
What the court looked at is, will there be an injury, a further injury to the petitioner of having adjudication delayed? And clearly that also holds in this case. Uh, Mrs. Sudam stands uh, to suffer not only the additional losses of time and expense of continually litigating uh, her basic constitutional rights, but her constitutional claims could in fact be mooted out if she complies with the procedural uh, requirements that the Ninth Circuit has set forth. So, frankly, we think that this court should uh, simply reject TRPA's proposal to proceed with an Abbott Labs type analysis. Look at Williamson County, look at McDonald. Those are land use cases involving regulatory takings challenges. The point of the takings clause is fairness. The point of requiring just compensation when there's been a complete wipeout of all beneficial use of land is fairness. The point of the ripeness doctrine is certainty. We want to know that we have a certain claim. We want to know that the regulations have been applied with certainty so that we can proceed with the adjudication. Mr. We have certainty. Mr. Radford, could I take you back to a line of questioning that Justice O'Connor uh, uh, began with? You, you said that, that none of these uh, uh, TDRs uh, pre-existed the, uh, the asserted taking here, that is the denial of the, uh, of the building uh, uh, authorization. Is that so? I, I thought that, uh, I, is it not the case that any, uh, any lot owner in this area could, if he or she wished, uh, sell that lot owner's right to build to somebody else? Within the many restrictions that are placed on the transactions, that's correct, Justice. Right. Well, so then, so then some of these TDRs did pre-exist the, uh, the, the asserted taking here. Uh, per- perhaps. My answer to Justice O'Connor was misspoken. My point was that the TDRs were created at the same time as this regulatory scheme that, uh, that TRPA has placed. But the regulatory scheme is not the taking. I, I, no. I thought your no. point was that, uh, that if something is given to you at the same time as the taking, it can be regarded as compensation, but it in no way reduces the amount of the taking. And their response is, yes, but, but you had more than just your, your ability to use the land at the time of the taking. You also had your ability to trade off your land rights to somebody else. Well, we, we have, of course, now... For some of them, that's true. I'm not sure all of them. I think some of them you only acquire after you, you've been designated as yet. That, that's true. Of course, you have to go through the lottery to lot in the allocation. Right, right. You get the bonus uh, residential development rights, but only if you sell your initial right and greenbelt your property and so forth. But they, the, the sole point I was making was that the TDRs at issue in Penn Central existed prior to the, the whole regulatory scheme of the Landmarks Regulation. It was part of the comprehensive zoning plan of the entire city of New York. Here, by contrast, the TDRs were created at the same time as the regulatory plan under which it was finally applied to Mrs. Sudam, giving rise to this taking. The point being, the TDRs at issue here were created specifically for situations where these regulations will deprive an owner of all beneficial use of their land and then go through an ersatz compensation procedure of saying, in effect, here you have some paper We've taken away all your property rights, but you have some paper. We haven't taken that away. So you not only have no taking, but your claim isn't even ripe. I'd like to reserve the rest of my time, Mr. Chief Justice. Very well, Mr. Radford. Uh, Mr. Lazarus, we'll hear from you. Now, I hope sometime during your argument you will comment on the observation I'm about to make, that the Ninth Circuit seemed to rely very heavily on the Williamson versus Hamilton County. Your brief here kind of shifts and goes to Abbott Laboratories. Is that really a shift in your position or a change in emphasis? It's, it's exactly that, Your Honor. Um, it is a change in emphasis. It's not a change in the bottom line reason or, ultimate, or the ultimate result. We, as this case has progressed, uh, our thinking has evolved somewhat on that issue, and we don't think uh, that the best way to view the ripeness issue, which is a prudential ripeness issue here, the best way to view it is in strict terms of finality in Williamson County. Uh, but instead in terms of more of a flexible approach of prudential ripeness as reflected in this court's decision uh, in Abbott Labs. Williamson County... Do you, do you think the Administrative Procedure Act applies to the TRPA? No, the Administrative Procedure Act does not apply. And our basic position is that the Abbott Labs principles, the prudential ripeness principles announced in Abbott Labs, which of course was uh, a case involving the Administrative Procedure Act, uh, should apply more broadly than just cases. And there's no reason... So you, you would apply, say, Abbott Laboratories to, a, to an entirely United state proceeding if this were just California? Yes, Your Honor. I mean, basically, our, our position is that 
prudential rightness is described in very flexible terms in Abbott Labs. And that those well, what, what if the state of California were to take a different position in its administrative procedure rulings? Well, we're just claiming in terms of, of federal uh, jurisdiction. Um, and well, so you say that court. the Tower Regional Planning Agency is governed by federal law in this respect? No, it's, it's just a question of it's a jurisdictional issue to the extent a case is brought in federal court. And, and cases can be brought against the Tower Regional Pl Planning Agency under the compact either in state court or in federal court. Uh, to the extent that they're brought in federal court, though, uh, standing uh, requirements would apply both prudential and constitutional, and ripeness considerations would apply both prudential and constitutional. Uh, petitioner's position in this litigation uh, is decidedly at odds, in our view, with the interests of property owners uh, concerned about governmental regulation. They are challenging a ripeness ruling that will likely help them, and they attack a TDR program that furthers rather than undermines private property rights. Petitioner offers two reasons why the lower courts were wrong in concluding that her takings claim lacks ripeness, a very narrow reason and a broad reason. I would like to begin my argument by addressing first Petitioner's narrow argument, because I believe at least that argument presents a close question. Petitioner's narrow argument is that her takings claim is ripe because the value of her TDRs can be determined by a court based on appraisals without any effort necessary by her to market them or to seek any possible approval of the transfer. Well, and that sounds eminently reasonable in light of the evidence that we do have in front of us. Uh, experts have given their opinion of value. And, and we do agree, Your Honor, that the appraisals that are in evidence uh, are very good evidence and they're, and they're weighty evidence. But the value of an actual marketing effort for a TDR remains great. And let me explain well, why. I don't see why that's a requirement for rightness. Well, Maybe the best value of a property is if it's sold. But we have many claims for takings where the property isn't sold and no court requires it to be sold in order to determine the value. That's right. So it's a strange argument. Well, Your Honor, this is a, this is a unique case uh, because TDRs, most real property, the value can be readily determined based on appraisals. TDRs are fairly unique in this regard, which is what makes the value for the fitness of the issue so important to actually have a marketing effort. Let me try to explain just for a moment. The single most dispositive factor in valuing real property, as we all know, is location. Well, TDRs arise in the first instance out of ownership at one location, but their efficiency and their effectiveness is that they can ultimately be applied to many locations. Until one starts to begin to identify where the market exists for the TDR, it's very hard to know its value. A, a TDR, for instance, in Placer County is worth, if it ultimately is applied there, is worth far less than in Washoe County. The, the irony here is if you look back to the old TDR cases in the 1960s, the early litigation in Penn Central, it was the property owners who made this complaint about TDRs. That until well, but the TDRs in Penn Central were different in that they went to property already owned by the, by the claimant. Yeah, they didn't have to. These could go to properties that were owned uh, by Mrs. if she owned them. These TDRs are actually far more flexible than the TDRs in Penn Central because they can go to adjacent property, property she owns, or they can go to lots of people in the well, property. But, uh, you, you say they're more flexible, but they're also, they also strike me as less usable since at least the person who owned the property that the TDR applied to could make the judgment was, do, do I want to use it, rather than just having to sell it to somebody. It seems to me your argument is like if, if the... Uh, TRPA says you can't use your lot, but here's some script. You go over to Harris and you can play roulette with it. Then the, you say, no, we don't value the script. We have, we've had to stand outside the door of Harris and see what she can get for it. Well, the, the fact that the court considered the TDRs in the Penn Central case uh, relevant both to the economic impact and considered to be use of the property did not turn on the happenstance that they actually owned some other property nearby. If Mrs. Sudam owns some other property nearby, the TDRs could be applied there. The TDRs here, though, are far more flexible. Well, what, there's a 60-day claims period against TARPA? Uh, the 60-day claims period would not apply in this case. This is a Section 1983 case. Uh, and under Section 1983, the general limitations period applicable in Nevada for personal injuries pursuant to this court's decision, Wilson Park. How does Mrs. Sudam know when this, even under 1983, the statute runs? Yeah, the, the statute would run, in our view, the way we approach the case, uh, that if she identified an interest in an eligible buyer um, and then obtained TRPA approval of the transfer, at that point, limitations would run. Uh, if instead uh, she found out that it was futile, that it was with a good faith effort, there was no market, we don't think that's going to happen. 
uh, then it would begin running at the date of the reasonable discovery of the cause of action. Your rules uh, adopted by the association say that you have to bring suit within 60 days, don't they? Yeah, but those rules, and this has actually been litigated and, and, and settled, at least in the Ninth Circuit, that for a 1983 action, it's quite uh, consistent and mandated by this court's decision, Wilson v. Garcia, uh, that there is a uniform limitations period for all 1983 actions, and you look to the applicable state law. And in this case, would be Nevada, and it would be two years. So it's, it's not as though some 1983 actions are governed by the 60-day in Article 6, and others are governed by Nevada law. Instead, uh, 1983 actions would all be governed. Um, but I, I didn't see anywhere in these, I haven't read yet everything, but I didn't see in, in most of these things uh, any ground that the authority would have to deny approval, assuming that she transferred the, the rights to a person who was qualified, uh, which any other, so, so what's left to do? I mean, why isn't it ripe under any theory that, well, that she's been told at a certain date, at that moment, you cannot build on this property? And instead, here are some pieces of paper, and they have definite rights in them, and there's nothing more for the agency to do. Uh, there's nothing for the agency to do. Uh, the legal issue is clear. Uh, what, remains under, uh, what remains under Abbott Laboratories to happen? Well, one of, the, one of the factors that would apply in a case like this is the Penn Central factor and the economic impact of the regulation. And until the court has the record fleshed out, to make the proper determination of the economic impact, which includes the value of the TDRs, the court, it's just a matter of prudential rightness considering on the one hand the relative fitness of the issue, and the issue simply is not fit. As counsel himself said, they viewed uh, this whole thing as a mystery how much these things were worth. It Mr. Lasley, suppose, suppose there's a, t a regular in inverse condemnation case, and the plaintiff is saying, you took my land and I want just compensation. Do you think that the state that took the land or the state agency would be able to come in and say, you know, this land is way off in the mountains. There hasn't been a sale in that area in 50 years. Figuring out the value of that land for just compensation purposes is very difficult. This suit is not ripe. The owner of the land has to go out and find a potential buyer at some, at some cost. Why is that any different? Now, you know the answer to that is, of course, the suit is ripe. Why is that any different from the present case? It, it, it's different from the present case because of the uniqueness of, of TDRs. In, in a case like no, that... but you are creating the uniqueness. I mean, you are supplying the ingredient, which Justice Scalia referred to as being up in the mountains without any comparable sales. And the only thing that is unique is that in creating the TDR scheme, you have created the problem. Why should the landowner have to wait because you created something which is difficult to value? Well, the landowner shouldn't have to wait if there would be any undue hardship. But what you have here is a, a question for the court. We're inquiring a hardship in that case. I've never heard of a court inquiring in a hardship. The court might say to the plaintiff, look it, if you can't prove the value, you're the one that's going to be the loser. But if you want to go ahead, go ahead. Well, they don't look into hardship. There, there are other things at stake here. One of the most important things for prudential ripeness is the fitness of the issue for the court to decide. And the court here simply wanted to decide this very important as-applied takings case based on the, on the better evidence possible. The I can't think of any ripeness case I've ever read, and maybe you can cite one. I can't think of any ripeness case I've ever read in which a factor like this made a difference. I mean, uh, because of what Justice Scalia said, the, the, the agency isn't likely to change. They're not going to change anything. And, of course, it would be a little easier if we had better evidence about what, the pro what these TDRs are worth, but is there any case which said because you can get better valuation evidence later, well, uh, this, this uh, matter isn't right? There, there are not cases involving valuation. No, but anything like that. There's I can't still, think still, What's there, the case? Well, there are cases involving the fact the court wants better facts before it to decide, like the Ren v. Geary case, the First Amendment case, uh, I believe written by Justice Kennedy, uh, involving a First Amendment challenge. And one of the questions, it was a California constitutional provision uh, which made it unlawful for a political party uh, to endorse any candidate for non, a nonpartisan office. And if one reads the court's opinion there, one of the things the court is concerned about there is that until they have an actual application, they can see what the pamphlets are, they can see what the actual hardship would be uh, on the political party in that case. It simply really wasn't right. Uh, Mr. Lawrence, on a question of evidence, uh, what this, these TDRs are worth, it's something that you created. The uh, landowner really wants nothing to do with it, and one of the considerations when we're dealing with evidence is which side is better equipped to present the information. 
Now, uh, as I understand it, Ms. Sudum uh, had somebody testify, and that person was rejected as not a proper expert. You had someone who did qualify as an expert. So even if the record needs blessing out, why should it be Sudum rather than the agency that does the blessing out? Well, because she is the, the plaintiff uh, in this case, and she, in fact, created a factual uncertainty about these TDRs, which prompted the lower court to decide that it needed a better record to decide the case than it had before. Now, perhaps, why should we characterize her as creating the uncertainty when, when it was your agency that created the rights? Well, we created the why, why blame her rather than, than your client? Well, the rights that we created, though, were rights which, is, which were very consistent uh, with fairness and, and, and justice, and that is, in this case, we were striving. Well, that, that's, that's kind of the issue here, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> uh, may, may I, let me make a proposal, and you tell me if I'm wrong and, and, and why. It seems to me that the agency's interest here uh, in, in raising the, the, the rightness claim and in defending what has happened below is simply this, that if the valuation does proceed right now uh, without the development of the market and without the, the, any further action by, uh, by the petitioner, an appraiser is likely to come in and say, there is so little reason for me to ascribe value to these rights that I'm going to ascribe a very low value to them. I'm going to say, perhaps not that they're worth less, they're worth nothing, but that they are worth very little. Uh, and it seems to me that that's the only interest which the agency has in delaying this. Uh, they don't want a low valuation. Is, is there something more involved than that? Well, certainly the, the agency has an interest uh, and a ruling which promotes the creation of this market. Uh, but the, the real, more concrete interest of the agency in this case, because of course the only record evidence in this case, the only appraisals are all uh, on our side, uh, our interest is a far broader interest. Uh, and that is to have these applied takings challenges based on uh, the best records uh, possible. But it seems to me quite manipulative for you to say we want to use the courts to create our market. Uh, you want the ruling to create a market? It, would, it, would, it, would have, it could have that incidental effect. If, if your position is that these are worth something, then that ought to be a market that you created when you, when you uh, uh, gave her the, the, the coupons. Well, Your Honor, uh, that is an incidental, I think, positive effect uh, of our position. But I think uh, the, the main impetus for our position remains the fact that it is in the government's, agent, government's interest always uh, to have the constitutionality determined uh, based on a, a fully fleshed out record. Now, of course, in this case, uh, perhaps the trial court, uh, if contrary to our recommendation, should have, relying on our appraisals, uh, ruled against uh, the petitioner on the merits. Uh, the irony is what she is challenging is a, is a ruling that is far more generous uh, than that which is in effect. Then she could have been able to appeal here on the on the merits question, which uh, your 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 opposing counsel uh, is urging us to reach, but acknowledges we need not reach. And this six years of litigation would have been ended that much sooner. Well, this just adds another layer of uh, of litigation. How 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 elderly is this is this plaintiff? If we're talking about hardship, do we know how old the lady is? I believe she's 82 years old. And, she, and she's been litigating this for six years already. Well, Your Honor, to, you want to talk about hardship? Well, <laughs> to, the, to the extent, Your Honor, that there's been hardship here. Um, under our view, she could have very easily made this case right, consistent with the district court's opinion, uh, in very short time. The delay that has resulted over the years is a result of the litigation. Now, she is, of course, well within her rights uh, to appeal, uh, but having chosen to appeal, you can't claim hardship uh, on the valuation based on the time that it took uh, for the appeal, when the case could have been very easily uh, made right uh, for other times. I can't speculate as to why, uh, uh, given the age of the petitioner, one chose one technique rather than uh, and another technique. But in terms of hardship, I don't think one could put the litigation, uh, particularly the, the lengthy appeal, as, as evidence of the hardship how of the valuation. Could she, how could she? Does she have to wait till she wins the lottery? What if she doesn't win the lottery? How is that one to be evaluated? Yeah. Under, under our view, um, she basically would have to make a good faith effort to, to win the lottery. Well, it's, it's a lottery that we'd all like to a, a, apply to, Your Honor, uh, based, based on the record evidence. She can only sell that particular uh, 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 right if she wins the lottery. 
So I guess you would have to keep applying until she wins and then try to sell it and see how much it's worth, and then maybe you discount it by the chances of winning. Well, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, the record, the record evidence is in 1993, there was... The point a, is, it's certainly not an easy thing for her to come up with the kind of evaluation well, that you're talking well, about, and she had no reason to believe you were going to be generous in, uh, in, in your saying, Honor, never mind the lottery. Because everything is outside the record, there were fewer applicants than, than allocations. But it's the case that you, everybody wins this lottery after four or five years. I got that impression. Well, from at, at this point, there were, there were few, in Washoe County, there are fewer applicants than there are allocations. Uh, so at this point, it's really not a hundred percent chance of winning the lottery. Yeah, and even if even if there wasn't, Your Honor, because obviously things could vary depending on the on the county. Uh, all we're asked, all we're basically urging the court to adopt here is a prudential uh, approach, uh, which would be looking at. Which is, I understand, that the Ninth Circuit didn't. I mean, the Abbott Laboratories is a new creation, and you're talking about balance of hardships. And, that's the the Ninth Circuit thought it was dealing with a Williamson type case, and was this like. Could I get a variance? Yeah, we, we think the, the better way to view the case is in more, more flexible terms. Williamson County and, and Yodo, Yolo County are, after all, really just uh, case-specific applications of the broader principles uh, of Abbott Labs, uh, basically concerns with... But there's also right. one... I'm sorry. There's, I think there's one difference between the Williamson situation and this, and that is, if I understand it correctly, in the Williamson situation... The rights which the property owner wanted to exercise were rights which came to the property owner with the purchase of the property, but they were simply subject to a government limitation. You can't do this unless you get a variance. The rights that we're concerned with here, however, are at least in part new rights. She, for example, did not, when she purchased her lot, get a right to have somebody else build so many square feet on somebody else's lot. That's a brand new creation. And so that, it seems to me, is why the, even, even if we were to say, well, this is a Williamson case, you might still be in trouble under Williamson. Well, and that's maybe perhaps one reason why we think the better way to view the case uh, is in more flexible terms. If I've got a little time, I'd like to spend just a moment, though, on petitioner's broader rightness argument, which is simultaneously less persuasive and far more troublesome. Uh, and that's petitioner's argument that the value for TDRs is irrelevant as a matter of law uh, to the question whether his property has been taken. Uh, we really think... Uh, that that argument uh, is directly contrary to this court's holding in the Penn Central case, uh, where the court uh, directly faced, the only case which the court has directly faced the question of the relevance of TDRs to the question whether property has been taken, and the court squarely held that the value of TDRs is relevant to the economic impact. Thank you, Mr. Lazarus. Mr. Wallace, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. Uh, it's important to bear in mind that the TDRs under this plan become part of the uh, owner's bundle of rights that uh, are uh, connected with the property. The market... But there are new, new sticks in the bundle, at least some of them. There are new sticks in the bundle, which... Is uh, easement the bun part of the bundle of rights? It could be if it were transferable. The point I'm trying to make is that if she were to sell her lot to a new purchaser and had not used the TDRs, the purchaser would get the right to use the TDRs and market them, and therefore the market value of the lot that she owns uh, reflects the value of the TDRs. Uh, this is not uh, some separate compensation that's been given to her personally. It's a part of the bundle of rights that goes with ownership of this parcel. Um, this was an effort made... If you had two, two parcels, one with this restriction and one without, which person has the bigger bundle of rights? It seems to me very strange to call this part of the bundle of rights. Well, it, it is... is, it is Part, uh, in, in, in takings analysis, in, in regulatory takings cases, we look to see uh, what uh, economic value has been retained and what economic value has been taken, as well as the purpose of the regulation, interference with reasonable investment-backed expectations, and the rest of it. What, what she retains under this plan 
which was designed uh, to mitigate, in accordance with this court's analysis in Penn Central, the economic burden that would be placed on these environmentally sensitive properties where uh, uh, no further development uh, on the property itself, no further impermeable surfacing could be permitted. Um, what, what she has been given uh, is something uh, that this record says is of value and is marketable along with the land uh, if she wants to sell the lot. Well, Mr. Mr. Yeah. Wallace, well, what if the government had imposed the same restriction on her and instead of giving her, giving her TDRs had said, we have another piece of property over here that we think is, is equal to the value we're taking away from you. So here it is. Now, that may or may not be right, but surely there's not a ripeness problem there, is there? Well, the ripeness uh, is not what I was speaking of at the moment. There would well, not I thought that's a, what this case involved. Uh, of course it does, and I, I wanted to get to that, but first, uh, we are quite concerned with the per se uh, takings theory under which they are arguing that it's ripe because it, it it seems to us contrary to this court's jurisprudence, not only directly contrary to the holding in Penn Central that TDRs count in the takings calculus and are not just to be considered part of compensation, but there's a reason for that holding that has to do with the fact that the TDRs are part of the bundle of rights that an owner of this parcel would get. But, but the, the, the court didn't treat Penn Central as a ripeness case at all. It treated it as a takings case course. and said there was no taking. Of course. And, and that is my point, that the court held there was no taking. Uh, and part of the calculus was that the value of the TDRs was retained by the owner. Um, and, and it was something that uh, uh, contributed to market value remaining in that parcel of property. Now, in approaching the ripeness question itself, uh, we have no enthusiasm uh, generally for the proposition that a uh, plaintiff in a takings case who fails to prove her case uh, should uh, get a second bite of the apple and be able to bring uh, a case later making essentially the same claim uh, um, uh, if uh, better evidence can be produced. So it was with some hesitancy that we uh, supported um, uh, the uh, uh, ripeness uh, argument here on the respondent's side. And I think that... Um, uh, Mr. Wallace, let me understand what you're just saying. I don't know that any judge in this case said that she didn't have a claim on the merits. I thought it was rightness at both stages. Uh, uh, that is true. The, the courts below did not reach the merits, but uh, the only evidence of value that she offered was excluded. And so it, it, it seems to us that the likely outcome if this case is held to be ripe is that uh, um, uh, the respondent has introduced uh, sufficient evidence of value that it can't be said that she has shown uh, that there is a taking. The model... Well, uh, goodness, no court decided that. Well, Even taking the evidence introduced by the respondent. No Her land was worth more than $100,000. Uh, many years ago as, as a location to build a house. And the evidence introduced by respondents shows that the rights given by the TDRs and the other rights attaching to the property at most would amount to what? $30,000 or something? $35,000. So, so we're not going to decide but, 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 here that that couldn't be a taking. Well, My goodness. Was, I mean, there, why not give this poor elderly woman the right to go to court and have her taking claim heard. Uh, uh, <laughs> that that could be done. What what? Rely on Abbott, Abbott Labs. Abbott Labs is your answer, right? Well, uh, what? Abbott Labs is an APA case. It's also being an APA case. It, uh, it, it's a case and 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 a case seeking uh, seeking an injunction. It's it's a case bringing one of the prerogative writs so that so that the court is sitting with all sorts of equitable powers and can indeed decide to weigh the equities and so forth. This is not an equitable case here, is it? She is seeking very similar relief in some of her claims. She is seeking a permit to build on this lot. She, she is seeking equitable relief. But did you, but, could you answer Justice O'Connor's question? Because I, I have a distinct feeling perhaps the answer is neither the government or the respondent mind. 
if this court were to say, it's right, we're not expressing any view on the merits, uh, none. Uh, and all she is arguing is that, uh, uh, that, in fact, under these circumstances, she gets definite rights uh, of TDRs and her property can't be built on. She says that constitutes a taking. The other side says it doesn't. Now, suppose the opinion said just that. Would the government object? This would not be harmful to our interests in any way. Uh, um, Maybe this case is moved. I don't know why all these people have come up here then. What, what I... Uh, I thought that's what the whole dispute was about, well, Mr. We, Wallace. We have said that we think there has been a final decision in this case within the meaning of Williamson. Um, and perhaps uh, the role that we see for Advert Laboratories can best be hypothesized if... Um, at the outset of this plan, when the TDRs were brand new and no one had marketed any of them, every owner of uh, one of these uh, properties uh, went directly to court. And there would be nothing in the way of comparable sales, nothing but speculation about what the value of the TDRs That's would because be. because of the nature of the right the agency itself created. You're, you're saying that agencies can... Uh, diminish ownership rights and diminish value and, and then claim as a defense the fact that, that, that this can't be appraised in court. That this is a very strange doctrine. Well, this, this was an effort to uh, uh, transform uh, part of the bundle of rights in a way that would retain a substantial measure of value in it. Uh, uh, those responsible for governing at three levels here, the states that entered into the compact, Congress, and the planning agency recognized that because of the basin's peculiar uh, uh, ecological fragilities, further development on these parcels located in these sensitive areas could not be permitted, that this would threaten uh, the interrelated environmental and, and uh economic well-being of the entire basin. And so they tried to create a program that would retain uh, uh, a substantial measure of value for the owners of, of, of these parcels um, and, and mitigate any loss uh, that they would uh, suffer as a result of what was not an extraneous restriction being placed on them, but something very uh, much related to the danger that their development would pose within Thank the you, Mr. Wallace. Tea Guard. Uh, Mr. Radford, you have five minutes remaining. Mr. Chief Justice, unless there are further questions from the court, I have nothing to add. Very well. The case is submitted.